this is my sixth message on love is the oxygen for kingdom living. And just sort of really a quick recap on some of the things that we've shared in case this is your first time today or, you know, you sort of haven't sort of um, been here for a while. But um, I've been talking about the, the donkey in Balaam. Um, I've talked about uh, that Jesus said to his disciples that you are to love one another as I love you. And so it's like with the love that we receive from Christ, that's, the, that's how Jesus says we are, to love one another with that unconditional agape love. Um, and we looked at, we've been looking at Balaam and the donkey as a, as a model or a picture of um, the church and how Balaam, uh, so, sorry, the donkey modeled this love in the face of opposition towards him or her, actually, it was a she. And, um, and so we've talked about this love as selfless and that it's sacrificial. And so this kingdom love, that's what we've been calling it, this kingdom love, because it's not human love, it's not a love of the world, it's a love that we have all experienced if we've received him as our, as our saviour, as our father, and this love that is within us, and the more we get to know him, the more we can actually love with this love. Um, so it's selfless and sacrificial, it puts others ahead of itself, which is, you know, once again, there's that challenge for us. And then I talked about last week how the donkey was empowered and enabled to love with this kingdom love because she had sight of God. She was the one that could actually see the Father. She was the one that could see the angel where Balaam couldn't. And I talked about how important sight is. I mean, prophetic sight, revelationary sight, not physical sight, but sight that comes from the heart. Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in the knowledge of him. And so Jesus said to the disciples, why are you talking about bread and fish? Can you still not see? Well, they could physically see what was going on, but they didn't have revelationary sight, prophetic sight. The Bible says without a vision, the people perish. That word vision is prophetic revelation. See, so often we think without something that we plant on a wall that says this is the vision of this house, meaning we're going to go build, I don't know, 50,000 homes in Cambodia. Without that, people will wander. Now, what it really means is without a prophetic revelation of Jesus Christ, people will perish. Without knowing who he is and who you are in him and his love, you'll wander around like a lost sheep. They're quite radically different things. Because you can fulfill a vision of let's go and build 50,000 houses in Cambodia and still not know who he is. You can do all that and go, who is this guy? So those things are to go arm in arm. It's out of the revelation of who Jesus is, out of the vision of who he is, you will go and do certain things. And one must precede the other, otherwise we just get into a whole lot of human works. And so today I want to talk about why. Why? See, I reckon if we went around the room, we'd know what we're about. If I asked you, what is the church about? We'd probably maybe have some sort of idea of how it's going to be outworked. But do we know why we're to do it? Because really, that is the most biggest, most important question that we need to get answered. Otherwise, we just aimlessly plod along, never really having anything that we're moving towards. Jesus knew and understood why he came. It was the very thing that motivated the choice of God for him to come. He understood the why. They've done researches, and businesses who understand why they do what they do 
are way more successful than those that don't know why they do what they do. They know how they do what they do. They know what they do, but they really don't know why they do it. And it's understanding the why that you can be flexible and adaptable to change. See, Apple understands why they do what they do, hence there is transformation and change. The Apple that we see today is not the same Apple company that it was because it understands why it does what it does. You and I, above every other people, are to understand why do we do what we do. Why are we becoming what we're becoming? As you know, I've started, or started probably November last year back at the gym. And I got to a weight of about 112 kilos. I've never been that heavy. It's called good life. <laughs> it's called ministry. I don't know what you call it, but I was 112 kilos and you know, I tried to hide it well with clothes, but you know, when I'd clothes would come off, I'd go, man, I never had a lump there and I never had a bit there and things are starting to go a little bit south instead of north and, and gee, it's not looking pretty. Now, I'm just speaking about me. I'm not saying this about anyone. This is about me and I've always been reasonably physically fit. I've played a lot of sport, um, always been at the gym and those sorts of things and I just, you know, within God, I just felt like I said, it's time to get back in shape, son. Time to get back and just get your focus back a little bit and but why am I going? See, if I don't understand why I'm going, then I'll probably just go there and talk. I like talking to people. And I do that at the gym anyway, but if that's my priority to go, I'd probably still be 112K. I'm 102.5. And I've lost some weight and I'm feeling good and I still want to stay attractive physically for Danielle, spiritually, mentally and physically. And at the moment, we're sort of both on this journey of, of just this physical thing which is actually enhancing other areas of our lives um, on the spiritual aspect as well. But why do I go to the gym? I went there to get back in shape. I went there to engage with some people at the gym and, and, and you know, share my heart, and be able to share Christ just naturally, authentically. But I understand why. If we don't understand why the Bible says we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, or love one another as He loves, then there's a pretty good chance we're either not going to or we're going to struggle. Because as I said, the donkey could see God and it empowered the choices that he made, she made. Yeah? It's huge. This why is huge. It'll be the difference between a life transformed, possibly in a life not. A life that comes alive because it sees, understands, and a life that just, oh, I don't know. And so I want to touch about, talk about at that because understanding the why empowers the choices we will make and desire for God and His ways come from understanding the why. Just want to reword it another way. Let me say that again. Desire for God and His ways come from understanding the why question. Why did you decide to get married? Why did you decide to have children? Why did you decide to take this career path? Why did you decide to get back into it or start playing sport? Why did you decide to come here today? Why did you decide to make a commitment for Christ? Why did you decide to die to yourself? Why did you decide to put on love instead of just be like everyone else and just retaliate after someone offends you. Why 
Why? Why? Three-letter word, but incredibly powerful, isn't it? So often it's the very question that we don't really want to address because it may mean something. It may mean we have to confront certain things that we don't want to confront. It may mean that I'd rather just keep that locked away in the dark so I can can just continue on the way. Because if I open Pandora's box, a whole lot of stuff comes out that I might not want to deal with. But by unlocking Pandora's box and allowing that stuff to come out with wisdom and discernment, it's the pathway to freedom. It's actually in the vulnerability and being dependent on Him and being exposed that life comes. So why are we to love Him and people the way He loves? And I'm just going to give you three basic truths, but, but God's into simple, and it's in the simple that the power is. In the complicated, I don't believe that's where God is. God is simple, but He's deep. That's why he says it makes it real easy. Here's the greatest commandment. Let me spell it out for you. But 2 Corinthians 11, 1 to 4 says this. I'm afraid, this is Paul talking to the Corinthians. He says, I'm afraid that as Eve was deceived in the garden, that you have been deceived as well from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to the Christ. See, it's in the simple that we miss it. Sometimes we can be looking for the deep, the heavy intellectual. Oh man, this is this has got to be way more. I've got to I've got to do so much more than that. It's like what Rhonda said before, that he's our friend. Just got to accept that. Not figure it out. Not he's my friend. I believe that by faith. He's my friend. That's what the Bible says. If you come and you allow this truth to be defined, you'll be my friend. So the first reason, why is it so important the church models this kingdom love? So a world sees this love in operation and knows that Jesus was sent by God. I'm just going to read John 17. You don't have to turn, I'll read this to you. Why is it? So number one, a world sees this love in operation and knows that Jesus was sent. That's phenomenal that this love can actually be seen when it is expressed on the earth. And that a world, non-Christian people, people that haven't yet been reconciled to the Father, would know that Jesus was sent. So it says here in John 17, 22, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. You see, when the church unifies and is one, love is expressed. The very outworking of unity requires love. Because in a room like this, we have different personalities, different stories, different giftings, different everything. And if we're being honest, our nature wants to be in control, and so we really want all our own will to be done. But the Father says, will you submit to my will? And so there needs to be this coming together of all these wills, submitting to the Father's will, that oneness being made perfect in unity, oneness would be expressed. Well, do you know what gets expressed when that happens? 
his love. Because it requires his love for it to happen. Not only does the world see, but the church is involved in a community that I'd say probably none of us have been part of. Or maybe we've been in small doses. Or maybe we've known three or four people. But imagine four or five hundred people that then went, you know what, I'm going to take this passage of Scripture and I'm going to enter into this unity because the Father's praying that it would happen. And as we do this as 500 people, this radical kingdom love is going to be expressed. So the person closest to me will experience this love and I'll experience this love coming off them. It's not cursed, it's the God in church. While Mel hits it because she's in the vicinity of, of us as well, LJ hits, LJ hits it, David hits it, all of a sudden there's this thing starts to manifest itself through the community. The whole community then starts to be transformed. Well, 500 people who come on a Sunday and Wednesday and whatever, it's not about coming on people start to see. You know when Paul said, look at us, Paul and John in the temple, when they went to the temple and the beggar was on the floor, and he said, look at us. And the man thought he was going to get some money. The man thought he was going to get arms. He said, you know what? Silver and gold, we don't have but what we actually have, we give you. Now in that case, but it's all love. See, healing comes out of a loving heart. What we have, we give you love today. Well, what happened to the man? He gets instantly healed and he jumps up and he starts running around the place. He's just entered into the kingdom. He's entered into freedom. The kingdom has come and set him free from his affirmities. But what's the core motivation of their hearts is love. See, the first place value system in the kingdom is love. And when it gets expressed, the Bible says, not only the, well, the Bible says, yeah, the world actually sees it. And it's a love that you will not find in the world. It's a love that you can't find in a nightclub. It's a love that you can't find in another person. It's a love that you can't find uh, through alcohol, through money, through sport, through career. It will only ever be found in the person of Jesus Christ. And as that grows and as it forms and as it develops, it then gets expressed through this good-looking vessel called Kurt Bayer. And people are the respondent of it, while at the same time, Kurt is being transformed through this love. What does the Bible say? We're going from glory to glory to glory to glory. The kingdom of God is advancing, it's advancing, it's advancing. We know the kingdom is within you. So what the Bible is saying is the kingdom seed culture, which is within Kirk, is growing. It's going from glory to glory to glory. Kirk is getting more radiant, more radiant, more radiant. He's becoming like Christ. Man, does the world need to see not mini Christ, because we cannot be mini Christ. We are here. I'm saying I'm not saying we're mini gods, but the Jesus in us. Paul said, "I labor in vain, so the formation of Christ will be within you." It's awesome. I think it's amazing, because the Bible describes us as ambassadors, ambassadors or citizens from heaven. So we have a culture within us that's from where Jesus is from, not here. 
And one of the reasons why God would say, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love one another as I love you is because a world would see me. The byproduct of that is that we would see him and one another as well. So it's always a two-pronged approach. I love that, that a world would see him. I don't know any person that's really encountered the love of the Father that can reject it. Keeps coming, as they say, keeps coming. Not just being told about it, I mean a revelation of it. When they reveal how incredible this love is. And so we, we have a role to play in allowing this love to come through. The second thing, why is it so important that the church models this love? Because it empowers and enables transformation. And this is where it's on one aspect, it's, it's always about him and us, but this is there for me, this is about us. Because it empowers and enables transformation. That's what grace is. Grace, when I think of grace, I see an umbrella that sits above me. And that umbrella enables me and empowers me to live my life and allow this transformation to happen. It's the very empowerment. What God did, what Jesus did on the cross is the empowerment. And if I, I receive that by faith, the Bible says I receive that grace by faith, it empowers me to actually live this life of transformation out. It's the very um, springboard of life. It empowers the process. That's why I love that word, empowerment. It actually enables me. I can't say, you know what? I haven't been empowered. No, you ha we have. That's what grace is. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. So Christ paid the penalty. Grace is put in place. And so now I still have this nature that wants to sin, but I have a new nature. And the very love that's within me that he did for me empowers me to be transformed. And so I come into greater realities of freedom in him. The truth will set you free as present tense. It'll set you free and continue to set you free. So I can be free from an eternity away from the Father. And as I enter into the kingdom, I can see it. But as I enter in and start being obedient to his word, what happens? I actually come into more and more freedom. So the addictions or the obstacles or the things that I face here, just because I pray a prayer doesn't mean they don't follow me in. So I still struggle with insecurity. I still maybe struggle with jealousy. I still struggle at looking at certain things on the internet. Well, as I allow this love, this kingdom love, as I am loved by him, and as I am loved by one another, that love, that environment, that umbrella empowers me to be able to come out of certain things that may be darkness in my heart and bring them into the light. That's why life groups are so important because I might not confess everything to you in this environment. Half of you might freak out, point the finger, run away. Or some of you might love on me, which would be awesome. I should be able to. 
They actually should be able to say, you know what, I struggle with this and this and this. And we all be all good about it. Without this. But you here, the senior pastor, he struggles with X, Y, and Z. How can you be leading the church if he struggles with that? Because he's human. And because position has no relevance in the kingdom. But how can that be? Aren't they supposed to be perfect? (laughs) You see, what happens when, when love, this authentic kingdom love, is expressed, it enables and empowers a person like me to come before you and say, you know what, I struggle with that. The Word of God, the power of God, the Spirit of God is helping me and enabling me to overcome this obstacle in my life. You know what? I'm coming more and more into the freedom that I'm experiencing in Him because the thoughts don't come now. The desire's becoming less. I take this thought and I actually put it into action and the Word of God's living and it's active and it's sharper than a double-edged sword and it's actually cleaning me up. Well, that's great news. But I can't do that if, if I come forward into the light and go, here you go, here's Greg Simner, and everybody goes, Ugh! what does Greg Simner do? Greg Simner retracts like a snail back into his shell or a crab and continues to sit with his stuff. Well, there ain't too much freedom in that, is there? Can you see the power of this authentic kingdom love? That when we come out of and into freedom, freedom. And grace has empowered that process. We're the only ones who struggle with that. We're the only ones who judge it. God's like going, would you stop judging? The Bible talks about that. Would you just accept this? Because it's for everybody. Because you know what? You're all in the same boat. Your struggles might be different, but you've all got the same nature. And would you just allow it to happen? That's why Galatians 6 2, it's either Galatians 6 2 or Philippians 6 2, says, carry the burdens of a brother. Because you know the other cool thing that can happen? As you enter into someone's trials, as you enter into their journey, the oil that is on them through revelation of the Father can spill onto you. In a person's crushing, in a person's process of going through a trial and a tribulation, and as they seek the Father because love has been empowered, it's been enabled, so we can go there, we can actually be vulnerable with Him, we can be real and authentic with Him. As you enter into that, and people come with you who are carrying your burden, everybody can receive the oil that is expressed in the moment and come into a greater reality of the Father. I think that's phenomenal. The one thing that the Father models in the prodigal son is the door remained open door remained open and even though his son comes back with not the right mindset he still saw himself as a slave instead of realizing he was a son the door remained open 
this is the greatest challenge because we can't enter into this with a result mindset. Okay? I can't enter into it going, I'm going to love Kurt as Jesus loves me because I want Kurt to be that. If you have that mindset, you will fail. You can't have an end goal in mind because then it becomes about ticking boxes. It becomes conditional. I will love Kurt as long as he models this behavior. That's human love. That's why marriages fail. See, I'm going to love my spouse, but they must, in Fritz Trump, start living like this. That's conditional love. You can't have an expectation of a change. You've got to just hope that the change comes. Jesus had no expectation per se on me and you. Otherwise, that's not freedom. That's not choice. I'm going to offer this as long as you do this. He gave it all up in the hope. Cost him. This love will cost you everything cost him everything in the hope that his people would turn to him. Nobody may have never ever turned to him. He was okay with that. Aren't you glad? See, that's what grace does. I've turned away from him probably more times than I've turned to him. But the grace empowers me again to turn to him. And that's why it doesn't matter one minute how far away you are in a moment in time, in a decision in your heart, you can turn back to him because of this love and you come at a hundred miles back into the place you left. You may have to deal with things in your own mind that say you're not, but from God's perspective, you're there. Hence the mind being renewed, start living as a friend, start living as a son. This grace has empowered and enabled you to get back on the horse straight away within a second, not a drawn-out process. And so when, why are we to love like this? Why love in God? Why love one another? Because it empowers the transformation. It sets people free. Once again, it's what the world is looking for and we are the people to model it to them. Because we have something they don't have. We have genuine power. We have a loving God that says, with me, all things are possible. We have a Father that has set us free, that loves us, that empowers us to live it. They don't have that. They have no hope. Now, they may have hope in themselves and their money and all, but real hope. All those things are perishing. We have in Him hope that lasts for eternity. That scripture that I read out before, that Jesus is our guarantee. He is the priest of permanence. He's our permanent priest. So He has gone into the Holy of Holies, sealed that, dealt with that, so we can overcome. Isn't that awesome? And if we, as His people, and I, can just take off religious expectation, religious mindset. This is what it should be like. And leave it at the door and go, here's Greg. And all his 
good points and all his not so good points his attitudes and go you know what while we're all in this together this is what we're moving towards this single purpose so let's leave all that behind and arm in arm walk forward then the church will be transformed and I want to show you this cool clip um, by the way it's what the donkey was modeling to Balaam see the donkey was modeling this love and it wasn't until the donkey modeled the love that Balaam saw God see it wasn't once or twice but three times I'll read into this did the donkey have any expectation that God was going to open the eyes of Balaam I don't think so the donkey was just modeling love because that's what was in it it knew how to do in the hope that God might show up and stop the kicking. And Balaam comes into, the Bible says that God opened the eyes of Balaam, but what had gone prior? The donkey modeling kingdom love, which empowered and opened the door for God then to bring. It's truly phenomenal what can happen when the body of Christ, when the church models this for one another and for a lost world. There's nothing on planet Earth more transformational than kingdom love being poured out on individuals, communities, or nations, especially when this kingdom love isn't deserved. I didn't deserve his love. Man, if there's anyone that really didn't deserve it, it was me, but that doesn't stop him. That's why it's so phenomenal. For much is forgiven, much is loved. And I'm going to show you a clip um, from the movie Les Miserables. We went um, there just the other Sunday. We had a bit of a date and um, Ra and Phil Brass looked after the girls for us, thanks guys, and empowered us and enabled us to go and see the movie. And, uh, and see, there's love in action right there. And so we went and watched this movie and, and um, I used to call it Les Miserables. I thought it was good. And, and I, I go, oh, that movie, Les Miserables, you know. Um, but actually, that's what it actually is. That's what it means. I'll read what it means. It means the wretched, the miserable ones, the poor ones, the wretched poor, or the victim. And uh, if you don't know anything about this, this movie, um, go see it. It, it. It's awesome. If you like singing, you'll really enjoy it because it's pretty much all singing. But there's this character called Jean Vanjon, and it's set in France, and, and he is a prisoner for stealing a loaf of bread to feed, I think it's his sister's child. And so he's in prison for 19 years. And you can imagine being in prison for 19 years for stealing a loaf of bread to feed another human being. Maybe some of the attitudes that would be developed over that time, uh, spirit of unforgiveness and bitterness and anger, and I'm just going to get out there and you're going to pay, the world's going to pay for what they did to me. And uh, anyway... This is how he, he comes out uh, of, of, of prison. And prison was different maybe to prison it was today. I mean, these guys are in mud and dirt and all these sorts of things. There's no meals or showers or anything. But the environment's pretty, pretty hideous as well. And it's not the clip from the movie. It's, it's an older clip. <laughs> um, but I just, uh, he get, he, he, as he's um, out, he comes across this priest. And uh, this priest takes him in. And allows him to stay the night and feeds him. And I just want to watch the clip 
um, because I think the proof models what we're talking about extremely well. Can you roll that little bit down? I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes? Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. Really letting me go. Didn't you understand the bishop? Madam Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. And don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why, why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to either. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. calls him my brother, Jean Van Jean, my brother. He's only known him 24 hours. The man has stole from him. He fed him. 
gave him a roof over his head. Now he's actually giving him his best silverware. He's demonstrating kingdom love being manifested through him. And did you see Liam Nielsen's face? Can't get it. Doesn't understand it. And there's a beautiful part in the movie that's on at the moment where he actually, Jean Valjean, as he goes forward, he becomes a businessman. He actually becomes a, the mayor. And he sets up this business and he's, he is transformed. And his whole mission is to continue to offer this love, this kingdom love that he's been shown. And in the movie, it's, it's quite amazing because there's a, a police guy um, after him, uh, Russell Crowe. And he's determined that he's going to actually capture him because he didn't meet his parole. So he's actually has to go back to prison. And it's over a period of 20 years. And in the movie, he gets offered the same grace and he just can't get it. He actually doesn't understand it. Russell Crowe doesn't understand why he's offering him this love. And I think that's also a reflection of the world as well. You know, when we did the whole $10 giveaway at petrol stations, that was a really interesting experience to go through because you see people who couldn't receive love. You see in the heart of man this expression that I can't take this. For whatever reason, I'm not worthy. I don't need your charity not charity i'm trying to express a love that you can't find here and this love empowered and enabled jean van jean to become a mayor of a city and to set up a business and then offer it back and it's a phenomenal movie so i encourage you to to go see it so why why is it so important that the, ch the church models this love to the father to one another in the world one so the world would know that jesus was sent so this love is so incredible that a world would go, whoa, this Jesus is real. He's tangible. He's not just some myth. He is the Son of God. It's real. This thing is real. There is only one way to God, and it's through Jesus. Two, what was the second reason? Because it enables and it empowers the transformation of you and I to become. And the third reason why it's so important as it's all part of our own personal preparation in becoming the bride of Christ. See, so much of discipleship today is completely centered and focused around doing certain things. We set up discipleship programs purely for the means of getting the God's people to do things. Learn how to preach the gospel. Learn how to lay hands on the sick. Learn how to do all the things that good Christians should do. You get your mark, your certificate, and now you're good because you've been discipled into doing a whole lot of things. That's not wrong, but that's half the picture of a two-part picture. See, this understanding of formation, I think, has been lost by the church. God wants to form himself in us so we become, and out of the becoming you do, the Bible describes it as sanctification. So it's the sanctification process which now you actually go and do some things. So the two parts are happening within you at the same time. And so this is all part of our own personal preparation in becoming the bride of Christ. How many people know the Beatitudes? If I was to say to you, what are the Beatitudes? How many people could tell me the Beatitudes. Yell them out. Man up the top. Just one. 
<laughs> okay, just blessed are the... What does that mean? Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that actually mean? That you're just a pathetic little person that, that runs around in false humility? No. Blessed are those who their spirit, their internal system, their heart is being defined by the kingdom and this kingdom love so they model humility like Christ. It's a powerful position to be in, but it's anchored and centered in him. It's an internal thing. It's not an external thing, but there will be external workings from this heart posture like Christ, but it's defined by him. See, blessed are the poor in spirit are the most powerful people on the planet. And what one person perceives as arrogance, Christ perceives as absolute humility and meekness. Knowing who you are with the authority you have that's given in him and operating from that place is authentic. To some, it looks arrogance and pride, but to Jesus, it's actually him in, in us operating. But that is internal. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those, because they will see God, who hunger, they will, they will see him. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those who are the peacemakers. You see, all those beatitudes are an internal formation in a person that then gets demonstrated out of a person that lasts forever. And so when we love like Christ loves, when we actually enter into this and put this love on and allow this transformation to come, it's all part of our sanctification process of being formed into the bride of Christ. Because Revelation 19.7 teaches us, and we've gone through this, that the bride has made herself ready. Brides go through massive preparations to make themselves ready for the day. I'm marrying one of Danielle's workmates very shortly, and we were around there Monday night having a discussion about their wedding day and just listening to the preparation and the thoughts that have gone into the day. There's a lot of preparation. She's making herself ready. So sanctification is our bridal process to make us ready. That's why Paul teaches us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not just, okay, I pray a prayer one day and that's it, I'm made. That grace empowers and enables the transformation. Now I enter into the transformational process. And what happens when I love Kirk and Kirk loves me, as Christ loves us both, something's happening in my heart. Transformation happens in my heart. Even more so when I'm loving or say, look, he's loving me and I don't deserve the love. That's where the rubber really hits the road. That's when you can actually see if it's done a work within a person. Is when God asks you to love and there's no justification behind that love. But I don't deserve the love that he's giving me. Yeah, well, you don't deserve it either, but I gave it. Can you see this kingdom love? 
He just watched it right there. See, when someone realizes that they don't deserve it, that's when it goes to another level again. That's the whole, well, what's the point of loving someone who loves you? But when you love someone that hates you, and you keep pouring love into Rhonda, and you keep pouring, Rhonda keeps pouring love into me, and keeps pouring, and it keeps coming out. There's only so much of that that a person can handle before they break. You can try every defense mechanism you can. You can try running away from it. That's what people do. Some people actually distance themselves from relationship. They distance themselves from that love. We do it to the Father. We do it to one another. And we come and spend our time on this side of the room because this is really going back into the darkness again because that was actually quite scary. See, this love is quite scary. This love is risky. It's so incredibly amazing that you can actually run away from it. That sounds like the front, doesn't it? But you know it's true? And God says, run into it. Allow the love to be all-consuming. Allow it to actually come upon you. I remember Ian McCormick, a good buddy of mine, talking about the jellyfish guy when he went and, and was in the presence of God. And he said, this love keep coming in waves and waves. And he would say, how can you love me? I've had multiple sex partners. How can you love me? I've been addicted to alcohol, drugs, those whole things. How can you love me? I've cursed your name over these years. How can you love me? And he said, this love, this light just keep coming and coming and coming. Literally till it almost engaged or did engage his whole being. And he was saturated in it. Now, for those that don't know Ian, the guy is phenomenal and he has lived his whole life with Jane and her family by faith and have been around ministering in the world for 30 years and currently he's in Australia right now. Not dependent on any support like I am on a salary. Just phenomenal. But he understands the love because he's experienced the love. And see, when you and I love like this, it's how God loves all the time. But when actually flesh and blood, stand up, mate, when flesh and blood, because you know what? Kirk has a relationship with God and hears from God, but when flesh and blood come side by side, when it rubs up on one another, and we're very secure as men, so we can do this. <laughs> well, I am. I'm not sure about you, mate. <laughs> Signs would say, yeah, but anyway. But when... Me and Kirk, and I experienced this love of the Father through Kirk and him and me, and we're this close. There's something about this that sometimes can be more tangible than the Father's love, can't we? Because he can see it. He can touch it. He can see the vessel it's coming through. He also knows the good points about Greg, and maybe they're not so good. He sees Greg on a bad day when he's a bit frustrated, but then he sees this love coming or this love for me and this transformation you see you see it's all part of our bridal preparation it's all part of the bride becoming spotless it's all part of her becoming holy pure once again on one aspect when, when we take christ in that happens but there's so many scriptures that talk about now that you're holy become holy what you know you're worthy, but you're not worthy if you love these people more than me. What? Let me just read you uh, some of these passages. Um, 
Galatians 4, verses 19. I'll just read it out. This is Paul, and I said it before. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. So he's in labor. How many women have had babies? You know what labor's about? He's in labor for the Corinthian church, so the, the uh, Galatian church. He's in labor. He's going to the Father. He's praying. He's speaking. He's modeling this love. He's in labor that Christ would be formed in the church, in us, in our hearts, more and more. Come see 2 Corinthians 3, 18. says this but we all with unveiled face because we have by the spirit unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory so we've got unveiled faces because we have the holy spirit and we reflect god because god lives within us but we are being transformed into that's inside. That's where you have hope, peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, life, power. Those things are all substances within a person. The fruit of the Spirit are the fruit of intimacy with the Father. See, sometimes we chase all these individual things looking for peace, looking for joy. It's Him. You have more of Him, you have peace. You have joy, you have gentleness, you have patience. They're not individual things that you tick off. Oh, I need some peace this week. I better go get some. Oh, I'm going to need some gentleness, some self-control. No, no. As you love Him and love one another, those things are formed in you. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. Who's the Spirit? Him. It's the fruit of His Holy Spirit. So it comes forth out of you so when i offend chris chris in his human nature has every right to maybe offend me back but he doesn't what comes out of chris is love is grace i should probably have my head knocked off for what i said to him and once again when he models that i'm a little bit bewildered by that what do you have within you that I don't have? Can I talk with you? It's all part of enabling, empowering transformation and the preparation for a day of a marriage and a wedding. Let me read this 2 Corinthians 3 and we'll wrap this up. So we have the guys back, it'd be great. Paul says this, are we beginning, ministers of a new covenant, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some, letters of accommodation to you or from you? Verse 2. You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Being manifested that you are a letter of Christ. <laughs> That's awesome. You could put a postage stamp on your head and post yourself. <laughs> and if you could get through the... The thing, you know, am I going fast post or normal post this week? I'm a letter. I'm called to be a letter. 
cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. While the groom is away preparing a place for his bride, the bride gets herself prepared for her groom and she is approximating his return as she has received gifts from him to remember him by. How does the Bible describe some of the words that describe the Holy Spirit? Seal and deposit. The Holy Spirit has been given as a deposit, as a seal, to guarantee something. See, so often we're using the Holy Spirit as this external expression for stuff. But how many people know that the Holy Spirit was given as a seal, as a deposit, so there can be a transformational period of time, of, of, of something to produce something. That's what grace is again, see? Given to you as a deposit that you can actually move forward. <clears throat> he's given us that while he's gone away to prepare a place. That's what happens in a Jewish marriage model. The groom goes away and prepares. The bride makes herself ready approximating the time that the groom returns because the bride is aware of what's happening not only on the earth but in the heavens. The glory of God will be demonstrated in the heavens, what's happening in the universe. So she's approximating, she's making herself ready, she's preparing for the day not to be caught out but to be celebrating, looking forward to the day that the groom returns it's all part of see our bridal preparation the bride of Christ being made ready being formed love is never learned by reading about it but by doing it and the key is to is the, sorry love is never learned by reading about it but by doing it and the key to love is relationship relationship why did he come for relationship why are we to love one another for relationship and the beauty of relationship honesty trust vulnerability sensitivity transformation occurs so i hope you'll take what you've heard today i hope you'll take it to him i hope you'll ask him to be like a berean out of acts and say man was that true was that stuff real was seek the scriptures for yourself but god is looking for a people who will love him with everything and i know we're doing that and we can be doing more of that love one another that's not running away from running love it's running to gets too hard we tend to run away don't we just all a bit too hard now. I'm going to run away. But you know where he is? He's in the running too. He's right there in the grind of life. He's right there at the center of it. It evolves around him. When it gets too hard, run to him. When it gets too hard, run to a brother or sister. And allow yourself to experience this love. 
thank you, Father. Thank you, God, that you're beautiful. Thank you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. I thank you that your love is all-encompassing. It's all-empowering. It's just fear. It's amazing. How can it be? How can it be that a king like you would die for me? The reason is because you and I have been forgiven. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father.